Hey everybody, welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about living a disciplined life so I can avoid living with the pain of regret. I'm really excited about today's episode because I have the opportunity to speak with entrepreneur, CEO, and speaker Jerry McNamara. Jerry has over 25 years implementing a fearlessly positive approach to business, which has led to massive success. He's run five companies in both business-to-business and business-to-consumer. He's made the Franchise 500 list, the Inc. 500 list, and the Best Places to Work list. He's also been recognized as a member of the 40 Under 40 and an Ultimate CEO. Today, Jerry runs an organization called Proven Chaos, a company driven to help CEOs create compelling companies that outperform while allowing them to make it home for dinner. His mission is to positively impact 5 million people in five years through better business. Jerry, welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Ed. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Glad to have you. I know we had to reschedule from uh, you, you and your family having to deal with Hurricane Ian. How's everything going with that? Everything is great. We uh, we live in Jacksonville Beach, so we're super lucky that uh, I think the last one that's actually hit is uh, 1957. So we got some wind and some tree tree damage, but uh, nothing uh, major like they did on the West Coast. Cer- certainly uh, grateful that nothing bad happened. Yes, I'm glad to hear that as well. So let's dive into this. Uh, I mean, you've run five businesses in five different industries, business to business, business to consumer. You've made the Inc. 500, the Franchise 500, best places to work. How did you go about accomplishing that? Oh, well, um, I've been super lucky. Let's just start there because um, you, you, you don't have all those things happen to not have an amazing team in the right industry in the right place. Um, but as I look at this, business is really widgets, Ed. It's, um, you know, how do you love your people, treat them as whole people, figure out the problem that you're solving, and then operationalize that into the marketplace to be better than everyone else. And so it really starts with making sure that you have clarity in your vision, your values, which to say that a little bit differently is the impact that you're going to go make and how we're going to treat each other. That's the foundation of every great company. And so um, for me, industries, B2B, B2C, doesn't really matter because my product has always been my people. I've always been in senior leadership. And so Leading people is the same no matter what industry you're in. And um, again, just been lucky to do it with the right people in the right place. Yeah, I know whenever we uh, had our introductory conversation, it was it was impactful for me as, and because as, as the conversation moved forward, the word love kept coming back, at least in my mind, kept coming back. And I remember asking you about that and you just referenced that. That seems to many people, especially like the typical MBA grad, too touchy-feely, not quantitative. It's just so what from your experience, what what's the role of of love in business? Well, I think when you really think about what the role of the leader is, I call it the four C's. You have to create clarity for people on how they win every day. So when you go home to your spouse and they say, Ed, did you have a good day? You better be able to answer that question. And if you can't, then you've done a bad job of leading your people. The second is they should feel um, challenged in the work that they're doing. They should feel comfortable that they have the tools, time, and training to be successful. 
And the fourth C, and maybe the most important one, is that they feel cared about by you as a leader. And if you get that piece right, guess what happens? This mindset shift happens inside people where, and it's not that you're trying to get people to work for you, but their mindset is, I work for Ed. I'm not going to let him down. We're going to go achieve those objectives, those results. Um, and all of this magic happens when you are able to put your ego to the side and you love your people and create the four C's for them. And guess what comes out the other side? Amazing results. And so, you know, when you look at, uh, we'll just use the MBA types, but there's there's certainly lots of people that don't have MBAs that think this way. Somehow there's this scarcity mindset that I have this little this little pie and I need to fight for my little slice of the pie. And the reality of it is together, we can bake a bigger and bigger pie. And that's what I'm after is the, 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 the mindset of abundance and how do we do this bigger and better together? I think that's just way more fun. There's no doubt. I know you, it's interesting. You and I speak um, the same language, just using different words with regard to leadership. One of the, you know, the things that I talk about is once people believe that we have their best interests in mind, they'll trust us. Yes. And trust always precedes commitment. And it, it moves way beyond just the logo or brand. Um, you reference you know, really trying to bring about abundance. Uh, you're, I mean, you're trying to positively impact 5 million people in five years. How, I mean, that's, that's abundance. Um, just, it, it, it just blows my mind. That's why I'm stuttering and stammering. How do you intend to go about doing that? Mm. So as I really look at what makes a great company, and we spend more time at work than we do in any other capacity of our life. It's more time than we spend being a husband, more time than we spend being a friend, more time than we spend asleep. And so at the end of the day, there's kind of three components that I break down. And every company needs great people, high performers, right? And so I have a, I've developed a, uh, a framework called the nine principles of personal performance. And that's how we make sure that people are living their life on their terms. That's the highest purpose is fulfillment. You get people aligned there, it's amazing. The second piece you need is you need a framework by which to operate your business. So I have the framework that I've used to you know, put companies on the Inc. 500 and the Franchise 500, and I call that the business acceleration model. And then the last piece of that is the thing that binds the business to the great individual contributors is leadership. And what I have found is there is a gap in leadership across the country. And it's why people hate their job. They show up because they don't understand how they contribute. They don't have clarity. What was good yesterday is not good today. And suddenly um, people go like, I hate my job. And can you imagine a world or the world that I imagine Ed, is that every day people go home energized by the work that they're doing, feeling great about the people that they do it with and, and the impact that they're making they're going to be a better husband. They're going to be a better dad. They're going to be a better friend. And so I think about this really, if you're not good at home, you can't be great at work. And if you're not good at work, you can't be great at home. So for me, the reason I work, the reason the work that I do is to make sure that I have great times with my family, create amazing experiences. But that's what, that's my why. That's why I do what I do. And so for me, 
if I can give leaders the tools of how great performers contribute to the organization, the model by which you can operate your business, because frameworks, you know this, um, you know, with your academic background, they're repeatable, scalable, and bring predictable results. So I need to be able to point to that thing on that model and say, we're missing here. This is the spot where we're let's fix this piece of it. And we can give people the tools of how to lead better. Guess what happens? People start pushing their chest up. They start standing a little bit higher. They enjoy, they start smiling. God, imagine having fun every day doing what you're doing. That would be incredible. And that's what I aspire to do because we've known this. You look at the... the um, the great resignation. We knew 75% of people hated the work that they were doing before we went into uh, the COVID lockdown. And then suddenly we put people in their homes with their family. We said, don't leave, be quiet, be contemplative. And people started to think, is this really all there is? Is it just this transaction of time for money? Or is there something greater that we can do together? And so I think the great resignation is a reflection of the new paradigm that we're operating in as a country, as a world, and the responsibility that we have as leaders to truly lead people. And so that's my goal. If I can make the world a better place through business, which is my passion, and I think I have a little bit of a talent for it, um, so it's been fun doing that. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to give people frameworks so that they can conceptualize it and give the tools and training. Um, so that they can go live it. And then hopefully if I'm successful, uh, I will have two books in the next five years and I will be on stages sharing this message so that it can become the platform by which people operate their businesses, create compelling companies that outperform. And by the way, they'll still make it home for dinner because if we don't do that, then it's the greatest ripoff in life to have that outward success without the inner fulfillment of truly living your life on your terms. Yeah, it's an extraordinarily ambitious goal. I hear the passion um, in, in your voice as you talk, and a couple of things came to mind. I, I, I read a stat a number of years ago. I have no idea if it's true, but it, it, <laughs> it read four per, only 4% of the U.S. workforce laughs at work. And I, my gosh, that's just so sad. And as you were talking, it just seems so self-evident that the the recipe for this I mean, it's just crystal clear and not only you know beyond common sense but the literature supports everything mm -hmm. that you're saying and you referenced a, a term called the leadership gap yep. um, and that seems like a fairly big threat to contemporary business especially now that we got get on the other side of uh the pandemic um yes. how do you recommend that you know anyone listening go about fixing that Mm. Uh, they should come take my course. That's what, <laughs> first thing that the first thing that I would say because I'm I'm working on fixing it. It's not perfect. You know, I think one of the things uh, that I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Ed, is we take individual contributors who are amazing at doing the doing, and they're the ones that get promoted. They're not always the best people to lead other people. And then we don't train them, give them the tools and resources that they need to be really conscious in their intention. And so I think it's a lot of deep reflective thinking. Here's how I'm gonna show up every single day, my own personal values, how I treat people. And so if we can get people 
to be reflective in their thinking, then it minimizes their reflexive thinking and saying, one day it's this and the next day it's this, it's no. We create that fertile environment, which is a predictable environment where we're clear on what the results we wanna create. And all we're looking to do is make sure that people have the ability to make engaged, autonomous and agile decisions in everything that they're doing. Because if I have to micromanage you, then the business can never get bigger than me, can never get bigger than the leader or the divisional head or whatever it might be. And so as you go through this process, I want people to think, how am I going to show up for my people every single day? What promises am I going to make to them that I'm going to be accountable for? And if you do that, you bring that conscious intention to your work every single day, I promise you that you will unlock a fertile environment for performance. Yeah, as, you're, as you provided that explanation, the first word that popped into my head was ego. Mm-hmm. And it seems in many cases, at least from my experience, that uh, the person that has positional authority, and as you uh, sort of intimated, that that doesn't necessarily make someone a leader, but this that person with positional authority that has a tendency to micromanage invariably creates a bottleneck and some measure of codependency with their people. And it, it, it occurs to me that that is largely ego-driven. Do you ag- agree with that sentiment? I, I to- totally agree. One of my favorite books is by Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. And I talk a lot about this inside of companies. And so, you know, the last company that I ran, which was uh, a construction business, I, I would talk to people. I would take them through our profit and loss statement and explain to them where their impact was on the business. And I would say to them, uh, on their job description, because every job description that I've written since I've been 23 says to do anything at any time to ensure the company's success, right? So I've always run high growth companies. There's going to be times where I say to you, Ed, I need you to clean the bathroom. Can you do that today? And anyone who puts themselves first and thinks, how does this reflect on me instead of, is this good for the business? I've missed the mark as your senior most leader. Because I haven't connected you to the mission that we're on. And for you to say, absolutely, this we should make this. This is the right decision. Even if it isn't personally good for me, it's good for the business. Therefore, we, we do it and we move it forward. And so, yes, I think when people are constantly thinking about themselves instead of the business, that's when things go sideways. Got it. Got it. Very good. Um, I... Uh... A question popped into my head as you were talking, and I, I'd love to get your perspective on, because you referenced job descriptions, and that obviously connects to the hiring process, mm-hmm. which we all know that we're all going to make bad hires, uh, e- even the best of us, because the interview process is fundamentally flawed, if for no other reason that the resume we're looking at is nothing but successes. The references that are provided are nothing short of um, uh, of sort of silly in, in that because who's going to put a professional reference that isn't going to extol their virtues. You would I've be surprised. I've, about... I've, I've spoken to people who have not given good references. Um, so yes, you would think so, but I, I have been surprised over time. <laughs> so maybe those people just maybe lacked a degree of self-awareness. Um, I, here's, here's my idea just to, yeah. I know I'm putting you on the spot with this, but my idea is yes, to have that piece where we, because we want, we obviously need to see people's achievements. 
uh, on a resume, but almost have them as an adjunct to that uh, provide a resume of failures. Um, if if nothing else, that seems way more interesting, at least to me, and it allows us to have them talk about the adversity that they they've overcome along the way. What what what's your knee jerk reaction to something like that? So first of all, I love it. Um, I was just uh, at an event speaking uh, last last week at uh, the University of Florida, and I was explaining to all of these high achieving uh, college students that I don't know that anyone has failed more than I have. And I am so proud of that because it means that I'm doing, trying to do really epic things in life. And that's okay that it didn't work out. I have said many times, I love to hire from the scratch and den aisle mm. because business is hard. I don't want white gloved people coming into my business who at the first sign of adversity back down because they've never done anything hard in their life. And so, yeah, I love the idea of a, of a failure resume. I'll send you mine. It'll be a multiple <laughs> pages long, much longer than my, than my achievements. But yeah, it's the context and, and it is the foundation, you know, beyond, hey, here's the, the impact that we want to go make and here are the values that we're going to use to, to, uh, to treat each other. The most important is invite the right people in on the mission. And you better know what those people are capable of. Um, because yeah, anyone can put out a really good resume and I've missed uh, on hiring people. But over time, I've continued to try and develop questions to unearth those behaviors that I'm looking for. For instance, one of the questions that I ask is, tell me about the hardest moment you've ever had in your life and what you did to overcome. Mm. And, you know, I've been in, in interview rooms where, you know, both of us are in tears. And that's, to me, a great interview because now we're getting real. Now we're getting vulnerable. That's someone who I want to go shoulder to shoulder with. And I think so many people are just like, oh, it's just professional, right? Personal, all of those things. You can't unwind the person from the profession. You can't do it. And so, yes, I love the idea of failure resumes. In fact, I just wrote it down. I'm, I'm stealing that one. Very good. Yeah, the 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 idea or sentiment that uh, it it's not personal, it's it's business offends my sensibilities because business is intensely personal. Um, you you talk about compelling companies a lot. Um, for someone desiring to start a business or someone that's struggling to turn around a business, how does someone go about creating a compelling company, especially you know, to get, because you referenced getting people behind the mission and vision. How do we go about doing that? Yeah, so there's three ways that you can create a compelling company, at least that I have found in my experience. One is you have to be really clear on the impact that you want to go make. So here's here's the vision for the company. And some people may be really inspired. Maybe it's a you're going to try and cure cancer and someone had cancer in their family, that's intensely personal to them, and they're connected to that vision. The second is your values. Your values, your operating system of the business. Um, I've run five businesses in five different industries. I don't know that I've ever been like, oh, I'm super compelled by the industry that I'm in or the impact that we're making, but how we're treating each other, the way in which we're going about our day-to-day -day work is so interesting and so compelling that that is something that has moved me to incredible action. And the third is your role inside the business. So you might love being uh, in sales, but you love B2B SaaS sales the most. 
And if you're sitting in that seat, that is super compelling for you. So you can either do it through the vision, your values, or the seat that someone holds. And the magic, here's the real magic, Ed. If you get all three of them right, that's when you're off to the races. And that's why being really clear about the impact that you want to make, how we're going to treat each other, and getting people in the right seats, that that's the hard part of leadership. Yeah, you you reference values. You've referenced it a number of times during our conversation. Uh, for you, what are your core values, and and how do you translate translate that into um, you know business and organizations? So my first core value, and it's it drives every other thing that I have, is love your people and treat them as whole people. Mm. And so I just start there. And so imagine running a construction business with mm -hmm. lots of blue collar uh, men, big burly men, and you start talking about love in that environment. People are like, did that guy just say he loved me? Wait a second. What is going on here? <laughs> and so I, I, I love being a little contrarian. But, you know, all of these things drive your actions behind you like... For instance, I say in my my morning intentions, which are all connected to my values, I will add an insane amount of joy to the world today. So I train my mind to continue to look across the landscape of the world. How do I add joy today? And then we do that. I will live in wonder, not in judgment. And so I'll say, huh, and that's really interesting. Tell me more about that. Instead of saying, well, that's a weird idea. What do you mean a failure resume? Mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, I treasure collaboration over conflict, but when conflict is necessary, I keep it, um, you know, positive and constructive. These are all the things that you do, but it all stems from a place of love. Intention matters. I believe in, in compassionate leadership of getting people not to my best end, but to their best end. And if you're continuing to invest in your people and you know them better than anyone else, I'm telling you, it's uh, it's a recipe for uh, making magic happen. Yeah. As you were describing that, the words of Dr. Jordan Peterson were echoing in my head in, in really two two ways. The first is when we make a comparison, we compare ourselves to who we were yesterday. So at least mm -hmm. that's apples to apples. The other that I think connects to what you're talking about is if we're not the best versions of ourselves, we're really doing a disservice to the world. Right. And yes. he even he even asserts very, very strongly that um, if if we don't do that, we are quite literally not living up to our individual mandate just for the gift that we've been given in life. And first off, do you do you agree with that idea? And then secondly, how do you relate that to what you talked about um, in terms of bringing joy and fulfillment um, to the world? I think when you um, when you put things into terminal factors, it allows you to look back on your life and to say, what truly is failure? Mm. Right? I, I think failure is not trying. What scares me in life is being 75 and on my deathbed and thinking, I had all these chances, Ed, to make an impact on the world. And you know what? I was too scared. I chose not to do it. I didn't demonstrate courage. And so I think I have a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I think to myself, what am I teaching my kids? What is my responsibility on the world? So yes, I, I do identify. I think it's to fulfill potential. Mm. It's I don't measure success by what is. 
I measure it by what should be. And that to me is a mindset that allows you to constantly chase new opportunities, to be a craftsman, to level up your skills. Like I, I say this all the time, I'm on this mission, 5 million people in the next five years. My skills do not match my ambition. I, mm. I've done some pretty cool things in life. I've been right place, right time with the right people. I think I'm working harder today than I have in my whole life. And that's because I am chasing, I'm so passionate about making the world a better place through better business. And I do believe that's the most important thing that we do every single day. The trick is, the trick is to bring conscious intention to your work. Because when I speak to high achievers who have somehow lost connection to their why, and I ask them, well, what, what is it that you want to go do? They say to me, I'm not sure. Hmm. And it's like they're a leaf blowing in the wind. So if you are not bringing your conscious intention, then you're never going to make the impact that you were meant to go make in the world because you've never been reflective and thinking about it to go do it. Yeah. Um, I often talk about the fact that in life we we have to deal with two pains we have to and we have to pick between the two one is the pain of discipline the other is pain of regret and you touched on not wanting to live with the pain of regret for not having done something that you had the opportunity to do yep. now for a lot of people though jerry motivation is fleeting um so how how do you connect uh, what you described from having this passion and mission vision, and that that serves as motivation or even inspiration. How does how does that work for you on the days where it's just more of a struggle than other days, right? And and it requires that discipline in order to push through and persevere. Yeah. Um, so I, I will start jumping up and down and yelling and screaming on this one because I'm so. Um, connected, right? Um, I think, you know, Jocko Willenick wrote on, you know, um, extreme ownership, and he talks about discipline is freedom. And amazing, amazing book. I think there's like 0.5% of the world that has discipline for discipline's sake. Mm. And they're probably all Navy SEALs like he was. So grateful. But where does discipline come from? Discipline comes from your connection to the end result and the impact that you're trying to go make. And so the more connected I am to the impact that I want to go make and how I want to go make that impact, the easier it is to have grits, guts, and resilience in pursuing that. I expect to get my teeth bashed in, Ed. This is not going to be an easy mission for me. I, I go into it expecting it. But the more connected I am to the impact, the imperative, to go make that happen, the easier it is to have grit, guts, and, and resilience and discipline to go achieve that thing. And so it's when people aren't really connected to what they say their goal is, they think of the society is telling them to go do something. You know, we're all sold this whole concept of more and now, mm -hmm. and more and now isn't for everyone. Um, and so to me, it always comes back to your vision and your values. And your connection to them, if you're truly connected, I'm truly connected to this. I get up at four o'clock in the morning. I chase this every single day. And so um, discipline comes from your ability to have that awareness and bring that conscious intention. Yeah. Well, Jerry, 
Thank you so much for sharing your insights and wisdom today. Can you uh, share with the listeners how they can learn more about you and your work and your mission to positively impact 5 million people in the next five years? Absolutely. So uh, easiest place to go is to provenchaos.com. And one thing that I'll share with you, Ed, uh, and your your listeners, um, we do office hours every Thursday from 2 to 3 o'clock Eastern time. It's a free uh, workshop that we get senior leaders together. Uh, I've been doing that since November 2019. So even before COVID, when office hours was a thing, I was doing that. So if you have a, a business issue that you're trying to kick the tires on and figure out, um, come. There's usually seven to 15 people that show up every week. Just depends on what's going on. And um, you will get other people to give you a perspective. Another place, uh, I have my own live show that I do on Thursdays at 3.30 Eastern time. Uh, and you can find out more about that at bestplacestolead.com. Wonderful. So provenchaos.com and best, Kate, can best, you say the last one again? Yep. Bestplacestolead.com. Bestplacestolead.com. Wonderful. Well, Jerry, thank you once again for being on the Quest for Life podcast. Be well, my Super friend. Super fun. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it. You can contact the show at thequestforlife.com. That's the quest number four life.com. Be sure to consider leaving a five-star rating, even writing a review. As always, thank you for joining the conversation.